Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Southern Belle of Beverly Hills. It's your girl, Susan Pinkney. And this week's episode, I get by with a little help from my friends and Dave Chappelle. When I first moved to Beverly Hills from the South, I was coming off of a long history of working in professional baseball. Professional baseball, once you're in the sport, is kind of like a fraternity. We all, even if you weren't close, keep in touch or we know somebody that we worked with that we keep in touch with everybody kind of knows one another we all understand one our work ethic and two what it's like working in professional sports and a sport that has so many games per season when i worked in the league office in saint petersburg florida there was a woman who was very polished and professional together Sandy was in the legal department. I started off in marketing and she was just this well-dressed woman that every now and then would stop and share a story. I'm not sure exactly when or how Sandy and I became friends, but I think it may have happened on her birthday celebration during one of the baseball winter meetings. So Sandy and I bonded when I met her her friends from her youth, the people that she knew that she hung out with when she used to live in Los Angeles. And because of that bonding, we've always kept in touch. And she has just been a really strong, solid person in my life. Even if we don't speak for years at a time, she's just been one of those people that has always been there, like on the sidelines, rooting for me, cheering me on. And when I lived in Beverly Hills, I originally started working for a production company that did a lot of work with PBS. And when my time with them ended, I was looking for work. I don't even think I reached out to any of my friends to say, hey guys, I'm looking for work. I think I was kind of winging it, just looking and and figuring it all out on my own. One day I got a message from Sandy regarding a guy, Kieran, who used to work with minor league baseball during the same time that I worked there. As a matter of fact, part of my time in minor league baseball was me taking the job that Kieran had left. So I was very familiar with the type of work that Kieran did. So Sandy reached out to tell me that there was a job available at the world's largest concert promotions and events company. These people, I've mentioned them before, they own everything. They own music, they own venues, they own concert tours, you name it. They own the music industry. So she told me that they had a position available And she knew this because apparently Karen worked in this position for one day and decided that it was not for him and left and never returned. 
so she told me if I was interested, I should probably reach out to them to see if they were still looking to hire someone. So I reached out, got the job, started working for this wonderful company that if you're in the lobby of this company, like on your way to lunch, you see Kanye West standing there with his little Louis Vuitton backpack. You'll see Jermaine Dupree, uh, the Jonas Brothers walking through on your floor. This was back in their Camp Rock days. So it was before, you know, the Joe Bros were what they are today. Al Heyman, and I kind of knew of Al Heyman because of Antonio Tarver. And I think I spoke to him briefly and told him that I sat in his seats to see Lakers versus Clippers. And we had a small conversation about that. You saw everyone. It was like anybody who has anything to do with concerts, promotions, or events, or music, tours, venues, has a relationship with this company. And so... Every day when you went to work, you never knew who would be in your office. And what made it even more interesting is the way that we all sat. Unless you were a senior vice president, more than likely you were sitting in the giant bullpen areas that exist on each floor. My bullpen area had very high counter area where I guess if someone were tall and leaning, it's a good place for them to rest their elbows. It almost stuck out into the walkway. So it was a very good spot to sit in if you're working diligently, getting your stuff done, and you get to accidentally people watch. Very early while working at this job that one of my friends called me up, didn't even know I needed a job and helped me get, I started to not feel my best. Things were a little different. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew something wasn't quite right. I figured out there's no real way to share this story without revealing a little very personal detail about myself. It was during the time that I worked for this company, Live Nation, that I discovered that I was pregnant. Nope, I do not have any children. It's not like Chrissy Teigen or the beautiful Duchess Meghan Markle where people have empathy towards their stories and their situations because they were married and trying to have a child. My story is more like a needle on a record. Everything's great. I'm cruising along. My life is great. I'm living in this amazing city. I'm having the time of my life. I'm learning about Los Angeles, its history, its culture, fine dining. I had the guy. I was living the life that most women my age would have wanted to have been living, just cruising along. And then uh, there was a, a crack in the rose-colored glasses. It was the very last time that I think I felt completely safe and the very last time that everything made sense to me. So I wasn't sure what was happening. Working at Live Nation, I had the best insurance that there is. We could choose whatever doctors, the finest doctors we wanted to have. It was the absolute best insurance. I made an appointment with one of the best Beverly Hills gynecologists, actually, both doctors who worked out of this office 
have been prominently featured on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I explained to them some of the symptoms, some of the things I was experiencing, and went into detail as to what I thought was happening and and what could have been going on. And the younger doctor basically dismissed everything that I said and said, no, that's impossible. So you're fine. You know, you'll be okay. I'm still the kind of person who believes that a doctor knows what they're talking about at this point. And I said, okay, well then that can't be the case. I'm fine. A couple weeks later, it was more than confirmed through a drugstore test or several drugstore tests. And I went back to the same doctor. He, of course, confirmed it there through ultrasound and other technology. And I was single, pregnant, not knowing what I felt about the situation. And it was right at this time, because of the discovery of the pregnancy, that all the other things started falling apart. The relationship. I was having a full-on usual suspects Kaiser Sose moment, end of the film, where everything that I see, I'm seeing it differently. I'm recognizing it differently. I'm understanding differently. I'm learning about, oh my goodness, you mean to tell me all this time. So everything that I thought I knew about my existence in Beverly Hills was 100% changing. Nothing was as I thought it was. And to boot, I'm pregnant. I had the wherewithal to block out all of the noise and to wrap my head around what I was going to have to deal with, my own personal responsibility. In doing so, it didn't take long at all before I was so excited and happy. And no, I have not and still have not had that trip to Paris yet. And no, I have not done all those things that I thought that I wanted to do before I was in a situation where I would be responsible for another human being for the rest of their life practically. But it didn't matter because I was excited. I was excited about the possibility of seeing a little person grow up that I'm helping to raise and and be responsible for. And I was really happy about what could have been. As I went back for a follow-up, I learned that all of the mental adjustments and thoughts, everything was probably all for naught because this pregnancy wasn't going to make it. I was devastated and I went back and talked to the senior doctor at this medical office in Beverly Hills and I explained to him Basically, that if the younger doctor had listened to me, perhaps I would have had an opportunity to know if things would have been different because the situation would have been handled differently. And that doctor, the senior doctor, the one I told you that you've seen on television, said to me, why do you care? You're just going to get rid of it anyway. This is a doctor who has taken an oath in the clinic's name they have fertility and all these wonderful things that that they're promising to do. But he was able to say to me, what do you care? You were going to get rid of it anyway. Another blow. (laughs) That's that needle on the record. That's that rose-colored glasses getting cracked and smashed and stepped on. That's me dealing with losing a baby. That's me dealing with 
understanding how prevalent racism is and medical racism is in, in Beverly Hills, in our society. That's me basically running into a brick wall and having everything that I thought I knew about the world shift. I was sad. I was broken. I was hurt. Eventually, things took their course, and I drove myself to Cedar sinai Medical Center, where I received the official diagnosis of a spontaneous abortion. In case anybody doesn't know, spontaneous abortion is another term for miscarriage. It's the medical term. I was given information about a doctor that Cedar sinai was really familiar with after I explained my relationship with my current doctor. They recommended someone that would have a lot better bedside manner. I made an appointment. When I arrived at the appointment, which anyone who is in a hospital parking lot, obviously something's going on with them. Most people don't go to a hospital unless they themselves or someone else that they love is there in need of treatment. So when I arrived at the hospital to park, a very famous brother that they reference in the movie Clueless was in the parking lot blocking the entrance so that I could not park. Given the circumstances and the situation that I was dealing with, waited as long as I possibly could before I laid into my horn. Eventually, the famous brother moved his car. I was able to park so that I could go in to find out if I was going to need a medical procedure or if nature was going to take its course. As I'm getting out of the car, apparently I made this famous brother very mad because he was standing at the end of my car, towering over me, a five foot three woman who's at a medical facility, obviously there for a reason. He kept me from parking because he was blocking the parking lot talking to someone. And because I requested loudly with my horn for him to move, he physically intimidated me by standing at the end of my car. It was just one more thing that really revealed the true colors of my wonderful Beverly Hills neighbors. Eventually I went inside, learned that I would not need a medical procedure and was able to go home. During this time, I didn't know who to share what with. I didn't wanna be judged. I didn't want people to talk to me about, well, everything happens for a reason and and maybe it was for a reason because things weren't developing properly or, you know, there's certain things that we're taught to say to people that we need to reconsider. If you don't know what to say, just let them know you're there for them and that you love them and don't say anything else. So I just didn't know who to talk to and, and what I should share during that time. Sandy and I kept in touch, obviously. She was asking how the job was going and I'm not sure what I told her exactly. I know for sure that I did not tell her about all of the drama. 
But I did tell her how I was not fitting into my clothes. And I, it came up in conversation because that was something that we always had in common. We liked clothes. We liked, you know, trying new trends and being fashionable. And Sandy had the luxury of shopping with her mother on Saturdays. And I had the luxury and benefit of sometimes benefiting from their shopping sprees. When she found something on sale, she'd say, hey, um, see if you can wear this or try this. A lot of times still had tags on them. I remember having a conversation with her about my clothes being ill-fitting and... I I don't think I shared any other details with her. I just talked about that. About a week later, I received a package from her, which included a bunch of brand new clothes, tags still on them, including jeans and t-shirts and cute little items that were absolutely perfect for the situation that I was in. I remember like just being so happy and just so grateful and I express my my gratitude to her. I was grateful for so many things in that moment. Still very sad, of course. Still processing the moment. But I knew I had people around me that I could turn to for support. I knew I had people who cared about my well-being. I knew I had people who wanted what was best for me, even if they didn't know exactly what to say to me or what not to say to me. And I knew I had people that had I let them in at that time, which I did not let a lot of people in at that time, had I let them in, they would have been able to show a great deal of love and support. But I thought I wanted to keep that private and personal because I thought somehow, some way that the guilt that I felt about the whole situation was somehow an honest emotion and it wasn't. So one day as I'm dressed head to toe in some of the clothes that Sandy sent, including the cutest jeans in the history of jeans, they're almost identical to the jeans that they called mom jeans that Jessica Simpson had on. And there was nothing mom jeans about those jeans that Jessica Simpson had on. But anyway, so I was dressed almost head to toe in the clothes that Sandy had sent, feeling frumpy and not like myself, but feeling much better than I had days before. Still very much processing the situation. Actually, just a a day or two off of a, a visit to a psychiatrist. You know how Prince says in his Let's Go Crazy, you know, the one doctor make everything all right. Well, I decided that my sadness, my disappointment, my hurt, all of those feelings that I had about the situation weren't my normal state. And I believe in getting help if you need help. My relative was the father of black psychology He did a lot of good in both Southern California as well as Oregon. He helped create these clinics to help Black people in urban areas get mental health treatments if they needed it. So my family has never been a stranger to, if you need medical attention for anything, you should get it. Well, I decided with my very good insurance from Live Nation that I wanted to go and see a psychiatrist. He kind of reminded me of the mad scientist from Back to the Future. 
He didn't look like him, but his energy reminded me of the scientist from Back to the Future. I go into the office and we're sitting at his desk. So he's on one side. I'm in a chair on the other side of his desk. And he asked me, well, what's going on? And I said, nothing. And he said, so why are you here? And I said, well, I've just been really sad and crying a lot and I can't seem to snap out of it. And he asked me, well, did something happen to make you feel like this? I said, no. And he goes, okay, so tell me about your last couple weeks. I begin to describe to him the events of my last couple weeks. So he stopped me mid-sentence and said, I'm sorry, so are you telling me that you had a miscarriage? And I said, yes. And he said, and you think that you're feeling emotions that you should not be feeling right now? And I said, yes. And he proceeded to give the best theater-worthy monologue I have ever heard about the state of affairs in the United States of America, the use of psychotropic drugs, and how people needed to feel their emotions and process them and get over them and realize that you have to deal with things in life. Sometimes those things will hurt. Sometimes those things will make you cry. Sometimes you'll be sad. Sometimes you'll be happy, but you have to deal with them and process them. And it doesn't mean that you need to go to a doctor or a psychiatrist if you are feeling sad because there was a loss of human life. And when he said it, it sounded so simple. And I felt so silly at the time for even being there. And I realized that all of the pressure that I was partly putting on myself, partly feeling from others, that it was okay for me to feel sad. And it was okay for me to get into the moment of being sad. And it was okay for me to process all of the changes and all of the things that I had learned about myself, my community, my relationship, my body, all the things that I had learned, it was okay for me to deal with them and process them and not feel guilty or sad about being sad. It was probably one of the best doctor's appointments I've ever had in my entire life. He basically said, deal with it, feel your emotions. And that's what I did. So when we go back to my office, the day that I'm wearing my Jessica Simpson lookalike mom jeans, and the complete outfit that was gifted to me by Sandy. I'm sitting at my desk working, not sure how my eyes look because my face is always very expressive. And up walks Dave Chappelle and he leans on the desk and he says, how are you doing? And I was just so surprised. This was the guy that I had been watching on the Chappelle show and had seen in stand-up comedy and seen many times and always thought he was funny and enjoyed him thoroughly, adopted some of his phrases and expressions like when keeping it real goes wrong. I was happy to see him and even happier that he literally leaned in and said, how are you doing? And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, I'm doing fine. How are you? And he goes, I'm doing good. And I asked, well, what are you doing here? And he explained that one of his best friends was the VP of comedy. And he came because he was in town from Ohio and wanted to spend the day with his buddy. 
And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Well, hopefully you guys, you know, get out and do something really fun. It's a beautiful day. And he goes, yeah, I just got to wait for him to wrap up what he's working on. This was early in the morning. My friend Holly walks by. She worked in accounting, but her job required her to do a lot of walking back and forth in the office. And so she comes and she leans on my desk and she goes, hey, did you see Dave Chappelle? Yeah, he was upstairs just talking to me. And I was like, oh, okay. So she continues her lap. About an hour or so later, Dave Chappelle comes back. He doesn't say anything. He just leans on the desk. I'm working, I look up and I see him and I kind of giggle like, hey, you know, like you're back again. And he was just watching, seeing what I was doing. And then we said a few words, I have no idea what we said. And he walked off again. After working on the show A Haunting, there's certain words that I've learned that have become a part of my vocabulary. But there's a word that they call people who are really intuitive, people who feel other people's pain, people who sometimes with a burden to themselves can feel when someone is hurting. They call them empaths. I don't know this for sure, but it's my very strong opinion that Dave Chappelle has some of those qualities of an empath. I feel like he knew something was wrong. So he came back a couple hours later. He leaned on the desk. He just stood there. I just looked up at him, smiled, kept working. But it was something about him standing there. I can't explain it. It gave me peace. (laughs) It's just a weird thing, but it gave me peace. And you'd see people walk by him while he was just standing there leaning, who would say, hey, I'm Rick James, bitch. Or, you know, some other lines from his show. And he kind of looked embarrassed, like, okay, all right. Yeah, that's funny. But he was just very calm, very peaceful. And it seemed like the longer he stayed there and hung around, the more I felt at peace. So throughout the day, he literally would just come and and say hello and stop by and check on me, say a few words. And there was one point where he and Holly were there at the same time. Holly and I used to go to the coffee shop that would appear every Thursday on the second floor. They would turn the second floor foyer into a coffee shop. And so we told Dave what we were getting ready to do. And he said, oh, I'll go with you guys. So the three of us walk down to the coffee shop and we all got a coffee. Holly's tradition was to bring an origami dollar or two shaped as a bird and she would give it to the barista. This particular day, she's holding the little origami birds and Dave says, let me see that. So he takes the little bird and he stuck it in his pocket. And Holly and I looked at each other and just laughed like uncontrollably because it was totally intentional. Like he knew what he was doing. It was funny. He's Dave Chappelle. And of course, as we're down there in the coffee shop having our coffee, there's other people from all parts of the building who are walking by yelling, I'm Rick James, bitch, or, you know, the other things from his show. And every time he looked a little bit like, okay, guys, that's enough. And it was to me like the funniest thing, but it was just something oh so soothing about him being there and just chilling the whole day. So finally I asked him, I was like, so wait a minute, why are you still here? And he goes, oh, he's still working. Um, He can't get away. Apparently they're doing a lot of business deals. So I'm just going to wait. 
And I was like, well, why aren't you just doing something on your own? Going like downtown, having lunch, dinner, something just. And he was like, no, I'd rather wait for him. So I get back to work. The day ends. I'm packing up, getting ready to leave to walk home. Because that was another one of the things that I enjoyed doing, working at Live Nation and living in Beverly Hills. I enjoyed walking to work and walking home from work. It was it was kind of my thing, my therapy, my my way to be a part of the city. And even though I was a little less enamored with my city, I still enjoyed looking at the fashions, walking down Rodeo Drive, being a part of the culture and and having this be my neighborhood. So I'm leaving the building, getting ready to walk home. Dave Chappelle runs out and he says, hey, where are you going? I turn back and look, and I'm like, I'm going home. And I was like, and you're still here. You sh- you've been here a full day. You should be getting paid for today. And he giggled and said, I know. And I was like, well, it was very nice to meet you. I really enjoyed talking to you. And I don't even know how many sentences we spoke to each other throughout the day. It was very few. He said it was nice to speak to you as well. And I just waved and smiled. But there was something about him who could see that I was hurting that day. And there was something about him who sat in the hurt with me. And I will never forget it. Of course, it didn't change overnight and I didn't feel better the next day. But it was part of my healing process. Hey, if you enjoyed this show... Please rate and subscribe on iTunes or find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts, as well as Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find me, your girl, Susan Pinkney, at S-U-Z-Q-90210, Su-Z-Q-90210 on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're interested in advertising, hey, please do find us at Believe at Believe.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.